powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. The Montreal Canadiens played a legitimate cup contender extremely hard tonight, forced overtime, which I know a lot of people are probably upset about, but hey, listen, they did the thing. They blew the lead in the last minute or so, and then uh, they lost it in the shootout. So only one point to disrupt the tank so far. Uh, That's not so bad. Everyone's so anxious right now. I feel like the fan base is freaking out. Let's all calm ourselves down. Let's all calm ourselves down. There's freakouts about draft position, about who the Canadians might pass up in the draft. Let's just wait until we're there, all right? We're not uh, we're not that at that point right now. We don't know where the Canadians are going to pick. Don't know who they're going to pick. We don't need to make things more difficult uh, to be watching this team. We've already watched almost two years of bad hockey overall, so why make it worse for yourself? <laughs> just uh, think positive thoughts while you can, before you have to fret over bad decisions or, or bad uh, fortune from a draft lottery. Don't worry about it yet. Worry about it when you have to. All right? So let's get into it here tonight. There's lots to talk about. Maybe Mike Pizzetta's best game in his career uh, tonight. Uh, Jake Allen strong once again. Alex Belzil continually putting up production in a fourth-line role. Just incredible, incredible play from him. Uh, Beauty assist from Druin. And then Nick Suzuki. He's a bad man. We've got Laurie Bennett with us tonight. Who's uh, going to be fantastic? We're going to talk about the game, talk about uh, our collective anxiety as, you know, the fan base. But uh, before we get into that, you want to bet? Then get in on the action at Sports Interaction. The boys of summer are back on the diamond, and March Madness is on deck. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn or in Ontario, download the app using the QR code right now at the bottom of the screen. It's on every screen across SDPN. You can find it very easily, 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in Lori. Lori, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to be back at this after a couple weeks off. Uh, last show I did with Mark. Nice to see you again. But uh, honestly, it's nice to be able to watch the Canadians not at like one in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I watched. I watched all those games last week, like two days late. <laughs> I had it in my mind to live tweet one of them. Live tweet one of them while I was watching it, like two days later, and I thought, no, <laughs> won't won't mess with anybody that way. But yeah, it's nice to nice to be done, and it's a normal bedtime. Yeah, maybe if you know Connor Bedard is on the roster instead of tanking for Bedard, I'll be staying up that late and sacrificing uh, how I feel the next day. But right now, no. If I if I can avoid it, I'm probably not going to be staying up to watch those games. But hey, this one was pretty good one. Um, not all of the games recently have been banner games to watch, but I feel like the Canadians have consistently been competitive uh, to the chagrin of. Many in the fan base, I know that uh, everybody is looking at it in a... It's not being negative per se. They're trying to like prioritize what would be best for the team long-term. Everyone wants Connor Bedard. But that paranoid part of your brain freaking out about draft position and all that. I don't know what you, Laurie. I just... I don't get the point of like creating that anxiety now when you could wait until the end of the season and just see where they're at. 
yeah, like what's what's the benefit of it? I, I call them the tank wankers. <laughs> but, you know, like I get it. I totally get it. It will be nice if they, you know, can lose the right number of games and lose like they did tonight, lose competitively. Exactly. Put up a fun game, you know, see some nice stuff from the kids, see some guys who aren't going to be on this roster long term, you know, make a show for themselves and have have, you know, have a good time out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have no control over this. And, you know, the the 15th place, well, yeah, 15th, 16th place team might actually, well, 16th worst might actually win. Well, can they win the lottery anymore? Is it still top, is it top 10? No. You, you can only move up 10 spots. You can only so move the, up 10 spots. So yeah, the 11th yeah, right. worst team can win it. Can and still win up. it. Yeah. Like last year, I believe, I don't think they won the actual lottery, uh, when the New Jersey Devils, uh, I'm trying to figure out because the Devils moved up to number two last year, and I know they were nowhere near the second worst team. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, they weren't that far off. They were 28th out of 32 teams, so they yeah. moved up to second place. They didn't win the first place lottery, but it was still like a pretty big move up last year. Uh, that can happen. And the other thing is, if the like where the J- New Jersey Devils are were last year is not far from where the Canadians are right now and frankly about where the Canadians could finish just based on the strength of their schedule and um, yeah they were 28th the Canadians are currently 27th the Arizona Coyotes could pass the Canadians uh, down the stretch here the Canadians have a rough schedule you know like you look at the teams that they're facing every night now if the Canadians end this season with Adam Fantilli and a mid first round pick from the Florida Panthers, even not getting Connor Bird, I don't think anybody should be upset. No. I think that's still a pretty great scenario. That's, that's a pretty good landing space. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was I, like, I remember going to a pub last summer to watch the draft lottery and feeling pretty good about the, the Habs odds. You know, it, it's nice when you're, you're, you have the best odds to win that lottery. So I, I get it. I get why people want to, increase the chances and you know if they if they go on a losing skid from now to the end of the season you won't hear me complain about that um but it is what it is and and though you know the team that's out there like they couldn't could they possibly make it worse yeah i get people you know the goaltending pieces is the question but did anyone expect this outcome from these two goalies you think about last season you know like if you if you if you look at how last season played out it was a perfect, a perfect decision to sign the two of them back, and uh, you know, like a veteran who wasn't going to get too fussed, and a kid who was happy to have the chance to play and show himself. And here we are; they've both had, you know, reasonable seasons, decent and really good season at at, at times. And here we are; we're not we're not the worst team anymore. <laughs> but there's been some good stuff about this season, and there's been some a lot of fun stuff to watch, and, and you know, some. Some guys who've looked good. The injury situation is brutal, uh, particularly for the young kids. That's that's kind of the downer for me of this season. But more than more than dropping in the in the standings, the the concerning number of kids who are out is is a little bit off putting. I think so. Yeah. But all in all, there's been some good good hockey to watch. There has been, and I, I got a shout out. There's a couple of Hurricanes fans in the chat, uh, so thanks for joining us here tonight. This is obviously not going to be a, a show that focuses on the Hurricanes a lot, even though it was a game against the, the Hurricanes, but I'm just going to take a question here from Philip 
uh, Hetzler says, what are your thoughts on the overturned goal? Uh, biased Canes fan uh, thought he was forced into the goaltender, so it should should be a good goal. I think that if it was any other point in the season where the Canadians were cheering for a win, we'd be shocked that they actually got that uh, goal call going their way because it's been a few years now where the Canadians just can't win a challenge, especially on goaltender interference. He was maybe pushed in a bit, but I think where, like, the rule, who the hell knows anymore who knows? Yeah. with goaltender interference? But to me, for it not to be goaltender interference when you move the goaltender in the crease, the attacking player has to either have the puck, so he has a right to that space, which I don't believe he did, he'd already shot, or make somewhat of an honest effort to not interfere Avoid with the it. goaltender. And I don't think Stepan made any effort whatsoever so i think they got the call right but that's just an opinion because frankly we can't suss out what they talk about in goaltender interference calls i i I always feel like whenever marty (laughs) challenges a goal on on goaltender interference i'm always like not sure i'd be doing (laughs) yeah not sure i could handle here and again one more time nope not no interference and by the way we'll give you two minutes uh just yeah, I mean, that's not a call that the Habs have been getting very much this season. Uh, but uh, it's always a toss-up. You know, to me, I wasn't sure it was getting called because it wasn't, for me, it wasn't clear-cut enough. That said, if it was Brendan Gallagher in that position, I would 100% expect that Brendan Gallagher would be called for goaltender interference. So 100%. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, but... I don't know what Stefan's reputation is for for being for roughing roughing it up and running that, but certainly certainly those calls haven't always gone the Habs way very much. So we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I think most people would want that. To, I don't know who you never know what would have happened if they let that goal go in, right? Maybe the Canadians push the envelope a little bit and find another way to get past Anderson and it's a regulation win. And then you have people who are even more angry, you know, and the vibes aren't so great in here, but uh, so far it seems like everybody's happy overall, even if they're a little bit anxious, which again, understandable, but uh, I think we all need to take our temperature and and cool down a little bit. But uh, I will say one thing that's been, you know, we talk about the the youth being injured and I do want to get into the injuries a little bit because I feel like we, I know we talk about it all the time, but we can't not talk about it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, just, it's yeah. such a big storyline. But I do want to say that uh, Mike Pozzetta and Alex Belzeal have been absolutely shockingly incredible creating that fourth line. And as much as Belzeal gets like a lot of the credit, deservedly, for being such a hard worker and such a smart player and coming into this league at... I think he's 31 years old and pushing the envelope to the point where he looks like he should be a regular NHLer. Mike Pizzetta has changed a lot playing alongside Alex Belzil. He's gone from a guy who throws out a fight every few games and doesn't do much else to making hockey plays every game that are noticeable and have impacts on the game. I am really liking the turnaround in his game. For sure. And, and, you know, I think the last time, uh, maybe maybe it was Mark that was here then, but we talked about that fourth line in relation to Evans, Pizzetta, and Slavkovsky for, you know, they were, uh, you know, they had played the most, that's where, where Slav had played most of his games. 
And we talked about it not working for him, but the truth was that it wasn't working for anybody. You know, Jake Evans had a terrible start to the season. Yep. Zeta looked like he, like the guy that we saw last season did not show up at the beginning. It was just a poorly formed fourth line in my view. Um, And so now he's playing with guys who know what their job is and, you know, and, and it's comfortable and, you know, nobody's out working those guys, you know, and they're having fun. And, uh, and Belzeal, like he's, he's got the work ethic and the smarts that if he had just a little bit more skill, he could be, <laughs> he could be fantastic. Like he's, 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 he thinks the game well, I think, and he's, uh, and he, no one outworks him. So you, know, you gotta, you gotta love those guys getting a look because you don't know how many more looks they're getting in all honesty or how, how long their stay is going to be. Uh, the other guy that's looking really good is uh, Ulanen. I mean, he's like he looked good again tonight, but he's he's been making he's been making the best out of his stay as well. He has, and a really up t- big uptick in his play recently. Hit yeah. the post tonight, I believe, and uh, had yeah. some really nice setups as well. The Suzuki line looks good with uh, Ulanen and Harvey Pennard there. They could have sure. had a few yeah. goals tonight, right? If yeah. the puck just goes slightly one way or the other, or bounce goes the wrong way. Uh, for the Hurricanes, really strong night from them. Um, we got to talk about the injuries. Um, yeah. We're trying to think of what we should talk about Duran first. I feel like there was like a debate online about whether or not he actually meant to pass <laughs> that puck. And I was like, can we just give <laughs> him something? Like, does it have to be a referendum every time this guy makes a play? Like, so I, I just tell let you, him I, cook. I, I think I think it was the, the vendor that. <laughs> <laughs> See, he the defender did get his stick there, but if you watch, like I went through frame by frame because this guy kept on adding me and he was annoying the hell out of me. If you watch frame by frame, by the time like the puck is knocked, but it's already going that direction, so it it's just kind of sped it up back to Hoffman. So I think yes, the defender did get the stick on the puck, but I don't think that it changed what would have happened necessarily. Maybe the puck doesn't get to Hoffman as quick, but I think Druin recognized where that puck was going, where his room ran out, and was shoveling it back towards Hoffman in the first place. Because you can see him kind of half shoulder check and then shift his shoulders to make a pass backwards. Yeah. But yes, the defenseman did get a stick on it. But man, it's crazy how like every time Druin does something good, you've got to have like 50 people being like, well, it's because he uh, ran out of space. You're like, well, it's like <laughs> it happened. Things yeah. like that happen on every play. Like every play in hockey is like a bundle of mistakes packaged into like one thing that bounces one way or the other way. And yeah. if this didn't happen, this wouldn't happen. Of course. The poor guy is like, it's like, it's like Shakespeare took over to NHL, right? He's just a, he's just a giant tragedy in Montreal. And that's, you know, the, the skill is there for sure. You know, everybody knows that. Um, but it just it just hasn't really, you know, it, it feels like it feels like a chapter just waiting to to read its way out. And it does. I, yeah, I, yeah it, it does. And and you'd like to see him at least to me lately. He looks like he's having fun. So that's yes, a does. real plus. And there there were there were some times when, man, it looked like it looked like every game was a misery for him. Uh, but the last few games, since he's come back from injury, it, it looks like he's having fun. And that's when he scored the goal, uh, the goal the other night and celebrated like like it was his 50th of the season. It was like <laughs> it was like, 
thank God the kid is getting a chance to, <laughs> to, to enjoy hockey again. And that, you know, there was something really genuine in that, that, that he, like, he knows what his struggle has been and like not, not being too, not, not too much ego about it, you know, that he could still celebrate his first goal of the season after a long time. Good for him. 100%. Uh, Trizak nails it here. He says, it was a pass instead of a shot. Of course, Druen meant to do it. <laughs> That's going to be the, the final word on that. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the injuries a little bit because uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about the end of the game and, and uh, who made some good plays. And, you know, I want to talk about Mike Matheson a little bit because, man, has he ever been fantastic? And uh, yeah. Nick Suzuki as well. But there was a comment earlier, like as soon as we started the show, um, I think it was, who was it from here? Yeah, okay, Alex David says, Habs medical staff get a lot of flack, but does Martin St. Louis really need to grind Suzuki for 24 minutes? Risking injury from overplaying is nonsensical during these garbage time games. I totally get where that's coming from. However, Nick seems invincible. And maybe, you know, that only happens until he's not, but he's currently the Canadian's Iron Man, and it's from his first game onwards. Yeah. And he's the, the only person on the team who didn't even get COVID, which I don't know how, like, the immune system this kid has must be incredible. But I think part of it is, like, Suzuki thrives doing that kind of stuff. Like, maybe he gets a little tired towards the end of the game, but then, like, you look at that effort in the shootout, and it looked like he'd barely played a shift. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know what you do there, really. Like, I get, I, I've heard the argument in terms of pre- preserving Suzuki in terms of health. I've heard it in terms of, you know, like, you're not you're not promoting the tank here if you're overplaying Suzuki. I get it. But, um, you know, there, there's also the reality of what's the role, like, this is supposed to be a developmental season. What's the role they expect Suzuki to be playing year after year? Um, and, I, and I think the other piece that's, you know, they're, they're also looking at guys like, like our HP and Illinois to see if, if they do have a future in the NHL and see what they can bring. Well, playing those guys with Belzeal to, to try to make that determination is probably not going to, not going to, you know, create the picture of where those guys are going to be. But I mean, not that they're likely to play on a top line with Suzuki either, but you want to give them some, you know, some support to, get a sense of what they can do. And I get, I get why Marty does it. I think there's, I think there've been a few games where it's like, okay, Marty, like this is getting a little silly, but generally he keeps them around that, that 23 sort of mark. And um, yeah, I get, I get what he's doing with that, but I also get the argument of we can dial it back a bit. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember also that like, for a little bit over four minutes of that is power play time yeah. where, you know, you're not necessarily yeah. taking checks and another 122 is shorthanded time, which like, I don't know, they're running out of guys to use. And that, that's the other thing. Like they're running Druin right now as a center. Druin's not a center. He's playing no. well, but he's not a center. You know, uh, Christian Dvorak is not earning ice time, frankly. You know, uh, who else are they going to yeah. play? Like Belzil. You don't really want to play him more than like 12 minutes a night just because like he's playing great, but he's playing great in fourth line minutes for a reason. Right. And there's just they're running out of options. Right. With Doc not in the lineup, with Evans gone, with Monaghan gone, well, their there center was, line. Like, how are they winning games, Laurie? I'm just like was, all these names. 
<laughs> I laughed out loud. I'm here alone, and I laughed out loud tonight when when the play-by-play guy lists off the first wave of the Habs power play, and it was like, it it, it was like it was like <laughs> I'm thinking that is a scary first wave. It was like um, they had well, well, Belzile got stuck out there because of the the that they Dvorak couldn't stay out for the for the faceoff, and then there was. Um, I think uh, Ulan was out there. I think, and I'm not sure who the defense. Maybe Matheson, but I'm not sure. And then a couple other guys that were not your typical first wave guys. And I'm thinking, oh my god, like that is that is what they're down to for the first wave of the power play right now. If if Suzuki has just come off the ice and is tanked, right? Like, um, yeah. So it, it's it's. You know, if you look at the lineup, and every time I write, I, I always write at the lineup, uh, and I keep notes for every game, and I keep track of the lineup for every game. And I just every time I write it, I'm like, how in the name of God are these guys <laughs> even competing? Like, it's just, but, you know, it, it's a crowd of players that are, like, for some of them, they know that their opportunities in the NHL are few. Uh, for others, they know that they're on their last legs to make a point about who they're going to be in the NHL. And so it's it's, you know, they're, they're investing something in this that a bunch of uh, veterans who might be way superior hockey players, but who don't have a point to prove anymore and have been doing it already for 50 games and are tired of the, you know, 50 games this year, never mind what last year looked like and the year before. Like, you know, so they're, you know, they're, I, th- I think that's, I think the, the fact that they're running a Laval lineup is actually serving their purpose in terms of or going against the purpose of tanking, I guess, but it's actually working towards wins because those guys want it more at this point of the season. They have something to prove. And yeah, it's but the lineup in itself is not exactly, uh, not exactly Olympian. Yeah. And uh, Trinka 83 points out that uh, they feel that uh, everyone who's playing really actually wants to be here as well, which. Yeah. He says is refreshing, but also part of the reason why they're gutting out these wins, right? And I know everybody's focused on the goaltending, and the goaltending has been fantastic uh, pretty much yeah. all season, right? I think Allen has had stretches where he's been tired, and you know Montembeau has either been unbeatable or kind of iffy. Yeah, because that's that's who Sam Montembeau is, and that's fine. He's not going to be taking over the starters' crease uh, long term or anything. But huge development versus last year but they're all like somebody has to score goals to make the wins happen too right and it's easy to put it all on the goalies and say like ah this is why they're doing it but this team is incredibly resilient under martin st louis and this is why whenever we're talking about tanking and yes ideally for this team you want to get that first overall pick or second overall pick but development of the players that are here already also matters and I, I know part of it it kind of sucks that so many youngsters are injured it would be great to see more of Caulfield Slavkovsky uh, Kirby Doc Justin Barron you know Caden Gooley yeah. all these guys like, in, incredible unbelievable amount yeah. of guys who are out that should be playing and should be young and fit and all that yeah but there are still players in here who are in the lineup who are going to be with the Canadians for a while or are trying to earn a spot with the Canadians for a while yeah. And I think maintaining that attitude of competitiveness for guys like, I don't think it's a problem for Suzuki, but, or even Harvey Pinard, but guys like, uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's a problem for anyone, but team cultures, when they get into that losing attitude, it 
gets bad, right? Like he, we've seen, remember when Ryan O'Reilly was in Buffalo when they were tanking, he, yeah. was in, he, he full on lost his love for the game. Didn't want to play anymore until he got traded. So not having that situation happy happen in Montreal does have value. Like look how long it's taken for the Buffalo Sabres to build a team again. I know Mark Dumont's here in the chat, and I read an article from him earlier today where he was taking uh, a mailbag questions, and he was saying the Canadians need about like five more years to be like in contender territory. I don't think it's going to necessarily be that long, especially if they get uh, one of those top picks in this year's draft. I look at the pieces that they actually have already, and there's going to be a lot more development that happens in short order, I think, than people realize especially with the prospects that are currently in junior making the step into Laval next year. Like this team is maybe two years away from pushing for the playoffs, maybe less like if they get Bedard Bedard next year. And I heard a rumor of something possibly happening in the the UFA season. If those two things happen, (laughs) they might be back in the playoff hunt next, as soon as next season, which is crazy. (laughs) I, I agree. Like if you think about it, Andrew, like just think about they started the season with Madison injured. And he's been fantastic. Like if if he had started the season with them and they were healthy, like if they had avoided even a couple of the you know significant injuries, like you know if Monahan had stuck around and Matheson had played all season, those two changes alone would have would have really you know like the spot we're in now for drafting, it would have it would have been worse. Uh, and and you know that's not with a with a much more superior team. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be adding, and uh, I don't know if like I don't know if they're gonna be out, you know, buying big time in in UFA space anytime soon. But yeah, what what if that trade happens that you know, shall not be named? But if that trade happens, that changes the landscape considerably. If that trade happens and they're even able to land, if you know, draft at six or seven. Um, and that player is ready in a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, at if that player is ready in a couple of years and by that time they're dipping into free agency and guys have developed for a couple of years. I, th- I think that, I think there's real possibility that they're readier than we think in two years from now. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't write off making the playoffs next year. The, the the challenge with making the playoffs next year is that the East is surging, right? That's yeah. That's that's the, they have that that's where their challenge is going to be. But you know this is this is a better team than it than it's looked because of injuries and and core injuries, and and you know they're still missing a couple of significant pieces that they have potential to to fix quickly, really, if they want to. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but. Yeah, and I, I, think I don't one, think it's five years. It might be five years to be a true contender, but five years. Which was what be, Mark was saying, but yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think I think they're going to be playoff ready quicker than any of us imagined. That's yeah. Well, I think a lot of that's going to come from just the defense, right? Like watching them this year, who would have guessed that they would ever be this competitive with four rookies yeah. at a time on defense? Right? It's just no team's ever done it. And to ha- if all those guys continue to take steps, which of course is a big if, because development is not linear. Some guys will take step back, steps back next season. Some some yeah. guys might fall out of favor and end up not actually being NHL players, right? 
But the amount of defensive prospects that they have that are pushing the envelope is extremely encouraging. And as the development happens up and down, trending towards up, if the Canadians are as good at development as, you know, we think they are with, with Adam Nicholas and all that, yeah, it's going to be big, big steps taken on the defensive side. And then they have their forwards coming up after that from the recent uh, couple of drafts here. Um, it's it's going to change a lot. But uh, Matheson, I think, is the holdover on defense. Like David Savard, I don't think yeah. anybody expects to be here past his contract. Uh, you know, the last year will get dealt. Edmondson, I would assume, is going to get dealt in the summer or next year at the trade deadline. But Mike Matheson is an absolute steal on that contract. And you're now seeing people, now that he's healthy, <laughs> talk about that trade. And I think they're forgetting how good Jeff Petrie was, but just based on age and style of play, it does kind of look like a steal for Montreal at this point. It was it was smart. And and frankly, I mean, even when the deal happened, and I didn't know a ton about Matheson, but I, I will say that from watching him prior to his time in, in in Florida, he was a guy that I kind of liked, you know, for the Habs to be looking at. Uh, but, but I, you know, I, I wasn't clued in that he would be this good. I don't think. But I was. It, but it did occur to me he just had what they were calling a breakout season in Pittsburgh, and now they're trading him for an older player, uh, and, and who's you know clearly like, you know, reaching the, the the last years of his his playing career. He's not. He's not a spring chick. He was very strong with the Habs, but he gave his best years to the Habs. Yes. And, um, you know, maybe they were thinking some, you know, maybe it fell along the lines of they were, they were bringing the, or keeping the band together with, you know, bringing back Latang and, and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, satiate that crowd for another little while longer, but they might've preferred to keep some young blood in there instead of bringing in another older guy. And, and I, at the time I thought this, I, this doesn't look like a very smart deal for Pittsburgh, but I didn't imagine how strong a deal it was going to be for Montreal. Um, and, you know, it was, it was clever. Like I, like I thought about it all through the trade deadline when everyone was like trade Anderson, trade Anderson, trade Anderson. And it was like, come on, like they did not, not just watch what he did with, with Petrie, like, he, you know, he managed to bring, you know, we waited forever for that deal to happen. And, and, and it was, you know, it was, that deal took a while because of the nature of how, you know, Petrie wanting to leave and everyone knowing it and everything else. And he still managed to come out on top of that deal. And, you know, the, when the time is right, Anderson will move along too. And, you know, there will be a return at that point, but I, like, I'm not sure what Hughes has done just yet to get that sort of trepidation from the fan, fan base, but Matheson is not it. He's he's looking really good. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I kind of was shocked at the reaction to the trade deadline, right? As everyone was like, oh, they didn't get anything really. I, I thought Gurionov was good asset management, even if he may not be, you know, a, a great player per yeah. se. But the patience that he's shown on essentially every trade that he has made, what I get from Hughes is like he names his price. And then he sits around and he'll field offers and he'll say, but I'm not moving. Yeah, It's not going to happen. I'm not moving. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to get. And eventually somebody will bite because he just has to wait for one of 31. Yeah. And if he's got a player who has some level of demand, even if they've asked for a trade, he'll still find a way. So it's, 
like for guys like Edmondson, right? People were freaking out that he didn't trade Edmondson this year. Like Edmondson's yeah. got another year on his contract. He has time to make that deal, whether it's in the summer or next year's deadline, whatever. He hasn't run at a racetrack. The only real loss from the trade deadline is not being able to trade Sean Monahan. And I said this on the last show. As soon as the NHL put out that memo that uh, trading for screwed. a player who won't play in the regular season but could come back in the playoffs will be highly scrutinized. Yeah, they're, they he had that no was, value. That was that's that's when they got screwed, and uh, like I uh, my, my I had a theory. It's not it, it's worth ten cents. It's it's a theory, but you know they were not providing updates about Monahan's health for so long, <laughs> and my theory was that they were being a little bit coy about that in case there was a team who was interested to bring him uh, take him on and bring him in for the playoffs. Yeah. Let him heal, heal good and bring him in for playoffs and not worry about the cap hit too much. Um, you know, that's, that's a bit of a, you know, it's a theory. It might, might amount to nothing. It might just be that they had no clue <laughs> what was going on with Monahan's health and they had nothing to say about it. But, but that, 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 you know, edict kind of thing from, uh, from Batman sort of shut that door a bit. And yeah, there's an argument to be made that, Maybe he should have traded him when he was healthy months ago. But like, who who saw this coming? Like, yeah, exactly. Who, you know, um, it, it it just is what it is. And um, and and really, there's a first round pick that came with Sean Monahan. <laughs> like, you know, we 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 got the gravy already. Like, you know, it was going to be the the heaping spoonful of gravy afterwards. But and and who knows what happens with that from here? But sometimes it's it's okay to just take what you got and move on and. And, and that was, you know, Cavs fans wanting deals for players that they've been wanting out of town <laughs> all season, you know, complaining about Hoffman all season and then wondering why Hughes didn't move him. You know, like we talked about everybody shitting on Druin <laughs> earlier, like, yeah, all season fans have done that. And and why, why did we get a deal at the deadline? Well, there's not a lot of market, even with Edmondson coming back for one game. Like you had to know, like. You know, there's an argument to be made that maybe you just move him for whatever so that you get your cap space. But you can do that in the summer. That That's the deal that you can do in the exactly. summer. So, so you know, Hughes obviously made a decision that what he was getting offered for Edmondson wasn't worth, you know, turning it, turning it bottom up for the team. The team loves him. He loves being there. Wasn't worth it for them. And they could probably get just as much in the summer. So why? Why not? Why not wait it out to the summer and leave it alone? But. I, I I've not lost faith that they this crowd knows what they're doing. Will they might they might give me some some cause to change my mind before the year is out? But right now I'm still feeling pretty good about the direction they're going in. Yeah, I I, I feel like you're you're on the nose there. And you know we, before we talk about Nick Suzuki to kind of finish off the show, I do want to talk a little bit about the trepidation that the fan base is now having over the the rumors <laughs> that the, the Canadians are <laughs> obsessed with size. Because you look at the the players that the Hughes organization has brought in, and Slavkovsky is big, and Guryanov is big, and Doc is big, and Baron is big, I yeah. guess. But I think one thing that sticks out to me of all those players is they're all highly skilled as well. Like I don't <laughs> think the that. Canadians are trying yeah. to find guys who are just Coke machines like the Bergevin regime too. I know that yeah. part of that is, you know, people thinking of like uh, the McCarran draft, right. And they're having yeah. 
like sports P- PTSD from it and, and thinking like, oh, if they're undervaluing skill for size, that's a big issue. But I don't know if you watched it, Lori, but the Canadians put out a video last year um, for the draft and they were talking about their draft strategy and they had uh, Chris Boucher in there, who I know very well. He's a friend of mine who's their uh, head of their analytics department. And they did mention size as a factor in their drafting in between uh, Yuri Sokovsky and Shane Wright. But one thing that Chris noted was if drafting a big player up high allowed them to ignore size the rest of the draft and take the best talent available, it might be the better draft strategy. And guess what happened? They took a bunch of players who are not that big, who have incredible amounts of skill and high-level NHL potential. Philip Meshar is not big. Owen Beck's not big. Lane Hudson is the size of this coffee mug, you know, but setting NCAA records for uh, point production. Vinzez Rohr plays big, isn't that big. small, yeah. You know, I think Adam Engstrom is kind of big. Yeah, I know, he's only six foot. So, like, all these guys, and they drafted so many players in that draft class. Like, I, I've talked to experts. You know, Cedric Guindon is only 5'10", who say, like, this is an incredible draft class. You know, uh, Jared Davidson, who has put up... Nobody talks about this kid. 73 points in 53 games in Seattle this year in the uh, WHL. He's only six foot. Like, all these guys yeah. that they went and picked... Yes, the number one pick would be fantastic. And, you know, I think the big thing that has everyone freaking out is the TSN list with the Colby Barlow and the rumors that they are interested in, I think, Dvorsky. I think they're going to get a great player in this draft, too, really, because they've got two first-round picks. They're going to probably make bank on the rest of the draft picks in the draft, too, just because we've seen what they can do last year. Is there maybe a little bit of too much bias towards size? Could be. Could but be. But you know what? Almost every single franchise in the NHL thinks the exact same way. Well, I mean, the reality is, like, this This isn't Douglas Murray. Like, this isn't This isn't Michael McCarron. Like, it, it, you know, like, you don't want to be drafting size for the sake of size. But if you've got an option between big and skilled and small and skilled, um you know, if this, it, it, all else being equal, size doesn't hurt you. Uh, and they've got a lot of small players already. Like they've already got Caulfield, Gallagher, who's not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. They're likely going to be adding Farrell to the mix. Uh, Nishar, is, if, he, if he's making it, he's small. Um, like they need to be balanced. And, and I think that that's uh, the point that Hughes made, that he's not, a, he's not afraid of small players. He doesn't want 20 small players. And they've already got uh, like they're like they're already imbalanced towards small, or they were when when they took over. That's a little less so with Slavkovsky and 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 uh, Doc added, but you know they've they've been sort of tilted a little bit towards small in terms of their prospects for a while. So I'm not that concerned about that. And you know, like it, it's early. The draft lists change a fair amount between now and and the summer. Um, you know, as long as they're as, as long as they're looking at this in, in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to add size and skills, sure, I, I'm I'm with that. The, thing, the, the theme that I see with them, I, I think they have a really high value for hockey sense and intelligence, and I think I think that's the the things that we'll see with their with their picks. Um, 
And, and I, I think they're guys that they're not afraid that even if you are, if TSN does have you down as number five or six, if they don't see in you the combination of things they want, they're not going there. I think they have the confidence to go with what they think is the right way to go. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it, certainly, certainly the, 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 they won't have the, uh, unless they, they win a lottery, at which point I don't think it is going to be, I don't, I don't think they're going to you know, turn down Connor Bedard because he's not tall enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, but otherwise the, the rest of the picks, I, you know, I don't think they're going to go so far off the board that people are going to be losing their minds after, after the top three or four, there's a lot of question marks about who's place and who where. So Let's wait and see how it all plays out. They're not certainly not going to have the reaction they had when they called Slavkovsky's name. Uh, you know, that 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 whole shock value there. So I don't think it's too well, much to worry about just yet. They might, because the consistent rumor going around is that if they draft seventh they and he's available, they wouldn't take Matt Vemichkov. But I don't think, if they do make that decision, I do think it's a huge, huge mistake. It would be the first like big blight on the Hughes regime. Mm. But if they do make that choice, I really don't think it's about size. I think it's about no, other it factors be, more it than It will size. be about the, the political issues, yeah. I mean, that, the, the political issues, the contract yeah. that's four yeah. more years after his draft year. You know, you're, you're getting yeah. a player at 22. Do you have to, like, marketing-wise... Uh, you're losing money by not being able to market that player yeah. for four years. As much as people don't want to hear it, that hundred percent is part of it. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeff Molson probably deny it, but it's hundred percent part of it, especially with the Montreal Canadians. There will be something like that. If they don't take uh, Matthew Mitchkov, I do think it would be a gigantic mistake though. And I hope that we don't have to worry about it. And they take pick what first or second. So we don't have to even talk about this. Yeah, that would be, that would be nice. Uh, or, I mean, there's also the likelihood, I guess, of a team like Arizona picking them because they don't, they don't expect to be competitive for a solid decade anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, for them, that's yeah. the ideal situation. That's, they don't have that, to pay them that four makes years. Sense for them. Yeah. Yep. Makes, it makes perfect sense for them. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one potential avenue, I guess, but I, I, I think a fair amount of the fan base would be, would get why that was the case and knowing Hughes, he would be straight up about why, when, you know, at the end of the, the draft, he'd probably be pretty clear on why he made his choice. Um, you know, I, I've seen some pieces around, maybe they're going for the defenseman. Um, they need, they need, a they, they they're, they're not deep on right side D. Um, no. and, and and so you know, if they did that, I'd rather they did it with Florida's pick. But the player they want might not be there at Florida's pick. We'll we'll see where it goes. There's a defenseman rising in the in the, in the that that's going to be rising. I think in the next uh, few few weeks in terms of end months, I guess, um, prior to the draft. So we'll see how outlandish some of the thinking might be. We'll see. Yeah, and it's always crazy around this time, but uh... yeah. Alex David says, what's this UFA rumor, Andrew? Don't tease. No, I'm going to tease it. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll be able to uh, throw it out there in a bit, but I will just say um, it's a player who wants to come back. All right. Come back. Come back to Montreal. So not someone you would expect, but uh, it would be a a difference maker short term. Anyway, um, before we end things off, Nick Suzuki in the shootout. What else does he have to do to prove he is the NHL's king at this? It is ridiculous that move he made tonight to uh, put the Canadians in an advantage spot. I know they didn't win, but uh, man, he is a goaltender destroyer. I love that kid. 
<laughs> I just I just love everything about his I love his presentation. I love the slick Nick thing. I love how cool he is. I love how he celebrates it, everything about him. And I and and I love that there's an annoyed look he gets when <laughs> when when he's lost a battle or when there's you know it, it's gotten kind of dicey and he's not happy with how something's that's gone. I I, I just really appreciate it the way that the way the way that he plays the game. But but the shootout is like like for a second, it's like, is he going to shoot? <laughs> it's in the net. <laughs> and I think yep. that's how the goalie felt about it too. It's just like, God, where'd that come from? But it's, yeah, he's, he's got a pretty nice record there going for him in the shootout. Yeah. I know uh, people are guessing that it's Tyler to Listen, I'm sure that Tyler and cat would love to come back to Montreal, but he's not a UFA next year. So it's not. Oh, Tyler Max Pacioretty coming back to Montreal. <laughs> Do you think he'd be welcomed warmly? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if he would or not. Um, I don't know why he wouldn't be. I mean, God knows. And like, you know, none of us know the full story of what happened around his departure. We know that there's a long list of players that left on slightly less than friendly terms during Bergevin's tenure. So I'm not prepared to place all the blame in one place. I mean, there is that book that was published that would suggest that he was less than a solid teammate. But um, I don't know. I For short term contract i would have no issues with max coming back yeah i wouldn't either especially if it's at uh, a decent number right you pr- yeah. have to take a haircut but <laughs> yeah. says brian gianta hell yeah bring him out of retirement <laughs> he can still skate i'm sure all right uh, that's all we have for you tonight on game over montreal thanks so much laurie for joining us thanks everybody for tuning in it's always fun to chat with uh, some amazing habs fans in the comments and amazing analysts like laurie across from me and uh, Mark, of course, in the comments as uh, my regular co-host. Uh, Laurie, before we head out, uh, make everybody know. Make everybody know. Tell everybody where they can find your work. Uh, I'm Laurie10Habs on Twitter. And uh, you can find myself at habadder.ca. But I also write for an East Coast uh, publication, hard copy, and online uh, audience as well, wreckhousepress.com. Excellent. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for uh, joining me here. We'll see you again on Thursday. I think it's uh, the Habs taking on the Devils, is it? No, the Rangers. Rangers. Oh, yes. Next game, uh, I'm welcoming on uh, Shana Goldman is going to be here. So that's going to be really hype. And uh, stay tuned to SDPN tomorrow because there will be a very special uh, one-off show that we're putting together. It won't be live. It'll be premiered on YouTube sometime in the evening or maybe even the next morning uh, for uh, Women's History Month and International Women's Day with all of our women contributors across uh, SDPN, except for a couple who were too busy to make it, and special guests like Rachel Dory and Allison Lucan talking about women in sports. So it's going to be super fun and about an hour. Really worth it. You'll all enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll see you then. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.